Welcome. You are listening to the Audio Information Network of Colorado. This recording is intended to be used solely by individuals with barriers to print. Hello. Thank you for joining us for the Friday, May 26th, 2023 reading of the Human Health Program. My name is Emily Crocker. On today's program, the health tests you need at age 30, 40, and 50 from the Wall Street Journal. And looking to improve mental health? Listen to bird songs from the Washington Post. Plus, multivitamins may improve memory, study shows from time.com. And more, time permitting. Here's our first report. The health tests you need at age 30, 40, and 50. It's hard to keep track of when to start getting screened for health issues. Here's a guide by Sumati Reddy from the Wall Street Journal. Keeping track of when to start screening for health issues from cancer to cholesterol can be confusing, not least because guidelines for some of the biggest tests have changed in recent years. Recently, a government-backed panel of experts lowered the age at which they recommend women start getting mammograms to 40, down from the prior recommendation of 50. And many 40-somethings don't realize they are now supposed to start getting colorectal cancer screenings at 45, even though that same expert panel lowered its recommendation from age 50 two years ago. Most general recommendations are for healthy people of average risk. If you are at higher risk for developing a condition because of a family history or other factors, your doctor might recommend starting screening sooner. Start with your primary care provider who should be able to tell you what tests you need and when. Most insurance plans cover most of the cost of a physical or wellness exam. Strong recommendations from the U.S. Preventive Services Task Force, which is the independent panel of experts that issues recommendations on preventive services, must be covered by most private insurance companies and are often also paid for by federal insurers. Recommendations from other medical groups can differ and might or might not be covered by your insurer. The most important thing is to have a relationship with a doctor that you're seeing with some regularity, says Dr. Matthew Bonzellet, an internist at Washington University in St. Louis. Here's a decade-by-decade guide to when to start many of the major screenings. In your 20s. Many screening recommendations start in midlife, but there are plenty that begin in your 20s. The average adult should get tested at least once in his or her 20s for sexually transmitted diseases, such as gonorrhea, chlamydia, and HIV, says Dr. A. Mark Fendrick, a general internist and professor of medicine and public health at the University of Michigan. You might want to test more often based on your risk factors, he says. People in their 20s can also get tested for hepatitis C. The U.S. Task Force recommends that adults get tested for the hepatitis C virus once in their lifetime. Screenings for cervical cancer in women of average risk are recommended starting at age 21 through age 65. The frequency of tests depends on what kind you're doing. The task force and other groups recommend doing a cervical cytology test, often referred to as a pap smear, every three years from ages 21 to 29. In your 30s, 
For women 30 to 65 years old, the task force recommends continuing with a pap smear every three years or getting an HPV test along with a pap smear every five years. HPVs, or human papillomaviruses, cause many cervical and other cancers. Start thinking about getting screened for diabetes and cholesterol. The task force recommends screening for pre-diabetes and type 2 diabetes starting at age 35 for people who are overweight or have obesity. But the American Diabetes Association recommends that all adults over 35 get tested for type 2 diabetes and that people with higher risk factors get the blood test earlier. Average-risk men should get their cholesterol levels checked at age 35 and women at age 40 to see if they need to take a statin, a cholesterol-lowering medication, according to the task force. Doctors say most people get checked earlier. Dr. J. Cherie Allen, a senior associate consultant in family medicine at Mayo Clinic in Rochester, Minnesota, says she looks at a patient's body mass index, family history of heart disease, personal health history, and lifestyle to determine when blood sugar and cholesterol screenings should be started. If I have a 25-year-old patient with a BMI of 40 and they're telling me they have a family history of diabetes and cardiovascular disease, I'm screening them, says Ellen. In your 40s, women should start getting mammograms for breast cancer every two years at age 40, according to new task force draft guidelines. The American Cancer Society recommends that women get screened annually between 45 and 54 and every other year following that, while other groups recommend annual screening starting at age 40. At 45, it's time to get a colorectal cancer screening, which can be done through a colonoscopy or a mail-in stool test. If you don't have glasses or contacts and don't regularly see an eye doctor, the American Academy of Ophthalmology recommends seeing an ophthalmologist to get a baseline for eye disease screening when you're 40. Go sooner if you have diabetes, high blood pressure, or a family history of eye disease. Such screenings can catch such diseases as glaucoma and cataracts. In your 50s, Women who are postmenopausal should get screened for osteoporosis if their health care provider determines they have a high risk for fractures, according to task force guidelines. Lung cancer screenings are recommended for adults 50 to 80 years old who have a 20-pack year smoking history and currently smoke or who quit within the past 15 years. A 20-pack year history is equivalent to smoking a pack a day for 20 years or the equivalent such as two packs a day for 10 years. The guidelines for screening men for prostate cancer are all over the map, doctors say, and there is no universally accepted recommendation. The American Cancer Society recommends that starting at age 50, men talk to a health care provider about the pros and cons of testing. They recommend that men with a father or brother who had prostate cancer before age 65 or who are African-American, have that conversation starting at age 45. In your 60s, women age 65 and older should get screened for osteoporosis with bone density testing to help prevent fractures, according to task force recommendations. 
Men who smoke or previously smoked should get a one-time screening for abdominal aortic aneurysm between the ages of 65 and 75 years old, per task force recommendations. Men without a history of smoking can talk to their health professionals about whether they should get screened. Some doctors start cognitive testing in your 60s. At the Cleveland Clinic, doctors do a mini cognitive test for patients 65 and older every year or every other year, says Dr. Nehav Yas, a family medicine doctor at the clinic. Up next, why birds and their songs are good for our mental health. Birds are a way to connect with nature, which is associated with better body and brain health, research shows, by Richard Sima from the Washington Post. Looking to improve your mental health? Pay attention to birds. Two studies published last year in scientific reports said that seeing or hearing birds could be good for our mental well-being. Research has consistently shown that more contact and interaction with nature are associated with better body and brain health. Birds appear to be a specific source of these healing benefits. They are almost everywhere and provide a way to connect us to nature. And even if they are hidden in the trees or in the underbrush, we can still revel in their songs. The special thing about bird songs is that even if people live in very urban environments and do not have a lot of contact with nature, they link the songs of birds to vital and intact natural environments, said Emil Staub, an environmental neuroscience graduate student at the Max Planck Institute for Human Development and author of one of the studies. Everyday encounters with the bird kind are associated with better mental health. In one study, researchers asked about 1,300 participants to collect information about their environment and well-being three times a day using a smartphone app called Urban Mind. The participants were not explicitly told that the researchers were looking at birds. The app was also collecting data about other vitals such as sleep quality, subjective assessment of air quality, and location details. But the 26,856 assessments offered a rich data set of what is associated with mental well-being in real time in the real world. By analyzing the data, the researchers found a significant positive association between seeing or hearing birds and improved mental well-being, even when accounting for other possible explanations such as education, occupation, or the presence of greenery and water, which have themselves been associated with positive mental health. The benefits persisted well beyond the bird encounter. If a participant reported seeing or hearing birds at one point, their mental well-being was higher, on average, hours later, even if they did not encounter birds at the next check-in. Ryan Hammond, a Ph.D. candidate at the Institute of Psychiatry, Psychology, and Neuroscience at King's College London and an author of the study, called it a time-lasting link. Intriguingly, the birds benefit both healthy participants and those who have been diagnosed with depression, which is one of the most common mental illnesses worldwide and does not always respond to conventional pharmaceutical treatments. This has an interesting implication for trying to protect and preserve environments to sustain bird life, Hammond said, because people with depression do show positive effects toward birdsong and bird life in the area, he said. A second study found that listening to short, just six-minute, 
audio clips of birdsong could reduce feelings of anxiety, depression, and paranoia in healthy participants. Listening to birdsong through headphones was able to hit the same pathways that might be beneficial toward mental well-being, said Hammond, who was not involved in the second study. That's a very, very nice finding, he said. Researchers asked 295 online participants to self-assess their emotional states and to take a cognitive memory test. Then they randomly assigned the participants to listen to bird songs or traffic noise of more or less diversity. The researchers then had the subjects remeasure their emotional and cognitive states. Participants who listened to more diverse bird songs featuring the acoustic acrobats of eight species reported a decrease in depressive symptoms in addition to significant decreases in feelings of anxiety and paranoia. And those who listened to less diverse bird songs, two bird species, also reported a significant decrease in feelings of anxiety and paranoia. By contrast, listening to more or less diverse traffic noise worsened symptoms of depressive states. The research shows the healing aspects of nature, or also the not-so-positive effects of urban surroundings, said Staub, an author of the second study. Previous research on the health effects of nature sounds found that they could even confer cognitive benefits, though the second study did not replicate that finding. Why nature and birds may benefit us. Birds help us feel more connected with nature and its health effects, Staub said. And the more connected we are to nature, the more we can benefit from those effects. One hypothesis on nature's salubrious effects, known as the attention restoration theory, posits that being in nature is good for improving concentration and decreasing the mental fatigue associated with living in stressful urban environments. Natural stimuli, such as birdsong, may allow us to engage in soft fascination, which holds our attention but also allows it to replenish. Nature and birdsong also reduce stress. Previous research has found that time spent in green outdoor spaces can lower blood pressure and cortisol levels. Hammond said. It is not yet understood how birdsong affects our brains, but neuroimaging studies have found brain responses of stress reduction to other forms of nature exposure. Walking in nature versus an urban environment decreased self-reported rumination, which is linked to a risk of depression and other mental illnesses, and decreased activity in a part of the brain's prefrontal cortex associated with rumination. Viewing green scenery engages the posterior cingulate cortex, which is associated with behavioral stress responses and may help regulate the reduction in stress responses from nature exposure. Going out to see birds also tends to encourage more physical activity, which has its own panoply of mental health benefits. And exercising outdoors may, in turn, magnify the health benefits of exercise. How to get the most out of birds. Be aware. When we go outside, it is easy to forget that birds are also there singing their hearts out if we don't pay attention. Try to be aware, and that's actually all that you need to do, Stubb said. And with this little step, you can be one step closer to getting those beneficial effects or enhancing the time that you spend outdoors, he said. Be curious. What is that bird? Smartphone applications such as Merlin, Bird ID, and BirdNet. 
both produced by the Cornell Lab of Ornithology, can help identify the bird producing the song and visualize its spectrogram. Apps such as these, or eBird, also help identify the bird you are seeing from its size, colors, and location. Tools such as BirdCast give live maps of bird migrations in your area and reveal just how much bird activity you may be missing. Be involved. We can enjoy our feathered friends at any level of intensity. You can watch and listen to birds in your own backyard. You can also find a birding group and meet other birders in your area. Be present. We can find more joy by savoring the birds we see and the songs we hear. One recent preliminary study found that bird watchers who paid attention to the joy they felt for each bird reported greater mental health benefits than those who merely counted the birds they saw. Bird songs can be used to soothe our minds in a stressful world or in a clinical setting to treat patients with anxiety or paranoia, both studies suggest. People can use easy, accessible treatment or prevention techniques just by listening to an audio CD of things representing nature, Staub said. Or, of course, also going inside nature and trying to seek those effects, he said. Up next, multivitamins may improve memory, study shows. Taking a daily multivitamin can improve memory and slow some of the cognitive decline associated with aging, new research shows. By Alice Park from Time.com. Multivitamins have long been controversial. Studies exploring what, if any, benefit they provide for overall health have been mixed. Some show a slight benefit in lowering the risk of cancer and other diseases, while others show that vitamins don't do much for keeping the heart and brain healthy. Some experts dismiss them as good for little else than making expensive urine. But in the latest study, published in the American Journal of Clinical Nutrition, a group of scientists from Harvard Medical School and Columbia University report that a daily multivitamin can improve memory and even slow some of the cognitive decline that comes with aging. And it didn't take massive doses of vitamins or special formulations. In the trial, participants took the brand Centrum Silver, sold in nearly every supermarket and pharmacy around the country. Along with a grant from the National Institutes of Health, the study was financially supported by Mars Edge, which provided the technology infrastructure for the web-based cognitive evaluations, and Pfizer Consumer Healthcare, now Halion, the maker of Centrum Silver, which provided the multivitamin and placebo pills. Neither company was involved with collecting or analyzing the data, according to the study authors. In the trial, 3,500 people over age 60 were randomly assigned to take a daily multivitamin or placebo for three years. The researchers then evaluated their brain function after the first year and again two years later, then compared those results to assessments they took at the start of the study. Overall, people who had taken a multivitamin every day for a year showed greater improvement in their ability to immediately recall items in a web-based test compared to before they began taking the vitamins. The improvement was greater than that among people taking placebo. These benefits persisted but did not increase over the following two years of the study. 
The improvements did not translate to other cognitive functions, such as executive functions like reasoning and other memory skills. But an earlier study by the same group found broader cognitive benefits among 2,200 people over 60 who were randomly assigned to take a daily multivitamin for three years or a placebo. I think overall we are seeing benefits of multivitamins going beyond age-related memory loss into the slowing of global cognitive aging, based on these two separate studies, says Dr. Joanne Manson, professor of medicine at Brigham and Women's Hospital and Harvard Medical School, and one of the study's lead investigators. We think it's remarkable that the findings were replicated in this second trial, she says. The benefit of taking a daily multivitamin for three years translated to a slowing of cognitive aging by just over three years, says Manson. The fact that the trial compared multivitamin users to those receiving placebo provides more confidence in the results, she says. And the study is only the second to analyze the effects of multivitamins on cognition in such a rigorous way. The only other previous trial, the Physicians Health Study Two, did not find any difference in cognition between multivitamin and placebo takers among 14,000 physicians. But that study did not conduct cognitive tests of the participants at the start of the study to establish a baseline to which to compare the effects. What the new study found that multivitamins benefits appeared after a year of daily use. Then remained consistent over the next two suggests that the effect may not be cumulative. In the physician's health study, participants were evaluated after about 2.5 years, after which any benefit may have already occurred. We might have missed the opportunity to see any benefit because we performed the first assessments too late, says Howard Sesso, associate professor of medicine at Brigham and Women's Hospital and a co-author of both the current study and the physician's health study. They might have already had improvements, and these just persisted, he says. While the findings are encouraging, both Manson and Sesso say that relying solely on a multivitamin to maintain cognitive health among older people isn't enough. Dietary supplements are never a substitute for a healthy diet and lifestyle, says Manson. However, multivitamins can be a complementary approach, especially in midlife and among older adults, some of whom start having problems absorbing nutrients and may have less than optimal diets, she says. The researchers hope other groups try to replicate their findings to solidify any connection between multivitamins and cognitive health, and also generate more data into how the multivitamins may be contributing to improved memory. The group plans to continue following the participants in the study to see if the benefits persist beyond three years. They also hope to study younger people beginning at age 50 to see if the improvements might be greater if people start taking multivitamins earlier. Do the results mean we should broaden public health recommendations to include daily multivitamins? I don't think the data are there yet, says Sesso. We need to understand more about why and how these vitamins are working, he says. Up next. New study creates first ever atlas describing link between fungi and 35 types of cancer, by Rebecca Brandis from NiceNews.com. In a first-of-its-kind atlas, researchers identified and described the links between 35 different types of cancer and their associated fungi. 
though the findings published in the science journal Cell do not prove a cause-and-effect relationship between the two, they could help scientists discover more about the role fungal microorganisms play in the disease. The existence of fungi in most human cancers is both a surprise and to be expected. Rob Knight, the study's co-author and a professor in the Department of Pediatrics at UC San Diego School of Medicine said recently, It is surprising because we don't know how fungi could get into tumors throughout the body, Knight said, but it is also expected because it fits the pattern of healthy microbiomes throughout the body, including the gut, mouth, and skin, where bacteria and fungi interact as part of a complex community, he said. While the medical world has long acknowledged the link between specific microbes and cancer on a case-by-case basis, attention has lately been focused on the entire human microbiome, and specifically the gut, which is host to a vast and diverse array of bacteria, fungi, and microorganisms. These communities may compete against cancer cells for resources, influencing their spread. Thank you for joining us for the Human Health Program. My name is Emily Crocker.
If you enjoyed this program, please register for our free services at www.aincolorado.org or by calling 303-786-7777.